It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. And you still like me or you you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. (laughs) I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, Longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth. In America, wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. The morning after Joe Biden delivered that speech at 8.30 a.m., A woman called Lisa Gallagher was sick in bed at her home in suburban New Jersey. Her daughter came upstairs and told her that the FBI was waiting outside. Now, Lisa Gallagher is not a criminal, never has been. She is an active Trump supporter, particularly on Facebook. She had a Trump lawn on her flag. She's a patriotic American. She describes herself as a rule follower. She's never once been in trouble with the law at any level. And she had nothing whatsoever to do with January 6th. And yet outside her door were three FBI agents with guns. Quote, We got an anonymous tip you were at the Capitol on January 6th. That's what they said. Gallagher was terrified. Quote, I thought they were going to take me out of here in handcuffs, she told the show this morning. Ultimately, her husband came home and the two of them showed the FBI agents her daily calendars from January of 2021 and finally convinced the agents that she was not at the Capitol that day. Imagine armed FBI agents showing up at your house because you supported Trump on Facebook and demanding records of your whereabouts on a date nearly two years ago. And of course, the FBI already knew that Lisa Gallagher was not there because they have sophisticated facial recognition software. So they were never planning to arrest her. The point, and this is a theme in every authoritarian regime, the point was to use government agents to intimidate enemies of the regime on the basis of an anonymous tip. Quote, I have never been so frightened in my life, Lisa Gallagher said. The rest of us should feel the same way. Snitches? Anonymous snitches? The secret police showing up at your door when you're in bed? This is Soviet, and there's no other word for it. All right, that was Tucker Carlson last night. And by the way, we will put the entire segment on our Getter page because I want you to hear what he had to say. And I'm going to borrow some of the clips that he mentioned last night or that he showcased. We're going to use them this morning, too, because this is uh, this is earth-shaking. I started telling you a bit about it last week, and we've, of course, had our long dialogue about what's happened to people who went to the Capitol on January the 6th, or just to the speech, or on the grounds. We know about that. But this is taking it a step further. And, of course, who ratcheted this up? Who did this? Who caused that, you know, the the dial to be turned up? Well, it might have been President Biden in his speech behind the red backdrop. Just to remind you, here it was just, what, Uh, Seven, ten days ago, clip five. Too much of what's happening in our country today is not normal. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. We're all called by duty and conscience to confront extremists who put their own pursuit of power above all else. Democrats, independents, mainstream Republicans, We must be stronger, more determined, and more committed to saving American democracy than MAGA Republicans are to destroying American democracy. All right, so MAGA Republicans, that's you and that's me. We are destroying democracy. 
How did we know? How do, I, I didn't realize that we were doing that. I'm not sure the definition of that. No one is because people don't know civics. They don't even know the definition. They don't even know that we're not a democracy. They don't know that our founding fathers said that they, they hated democracy because it really amounted eventually to mob rule because then you pay people or bribe people to vote for you and the majority, the ones that get the goodies are the ones who take power. Uh, no, not democracy. That's really not what we want. We have a republic. Uh, and we are guided by a constitution that does not allow for what they're doing. But let's go on now. So Joe Biden made that speech and declared uh, in his unity speech that by the MAGA Trump supporters were a danger to democracy. And so, and then he sort of backed it off, but then he didn't really back it off. He doubled down. And members of his cabinet did the same. Alejandro Mayorkas, the head of Homeland Security, uh, said this. This is clip four. The threat landscape has evolved considerably over the last 20 years. We are seeing an emerging threat, of course, over the last several years of the domestic violent extremists. The individual here in the United States radicalized to violence by a foreign terrorist ideology, but also an ideology of hate, anti-government sentiment, false narratives propagated on online platforms, even personal grievances. So personal grievances and disagreements with anti-government, like you don't like the president, you don't like your senator, you don't like your congressman, expressed on Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Well, that's, that is just not allowable now. That is like you are in the category of terrorists. And to make the point even more clearly, Joe Biden in his speech on 9-11, uh, which happened last Sunday, we talked about it yesterday, a day late because that was Sunday, Joe Biden made a speech 3,000 Americans were murdered brutally by Islamic uh, Sharia adherents, serious Muslims, uh, who, you know, flew three planes into buildings and then tried to do a fourth. And so um, we, you know, you and I, we are the same. We are just as threatening as those Islamic terrorists. We are going to destroy the country in the same way they did by crashing into those burning buildings Uh, Yeah. So uh, if you don't believe that that's what they're saying, well, let's listen carefully. This is part of Biden's speech uh, on Sunday. It's not enough to gather and remember each September 11th, those we lost more than two decades ago. Because on this day, it is not about the past. It's about the future. We have an obligation, a duty, a responsibility to defend, preserve and protect our democracy. So it's not about the past. This isn't really, uh, I'm speaking to you about 9-11, which happened, you know, 21 years ago uh, in New York City and in Pennsylvania, and it could have happened other places too. It's not about the 3,000 that were lost. It's not about an attack on our country by Islamic adherents. No, no, it's not about that. It's about the future. And we have to fight, you know, those whatever fill in the blank. Well, if he didn't fill in the blank sufficiently, Chuck Todd did in his interview with Kamala Harris over the weekend clip too. Not quite 20 years after 9-11, the Capitol came under attack from domestic terrorists. I began by asking the vice president about how, over two decades, our focus has had to shift from foreign terror to the threat from within. I think it is very dangerous, and I think it is very harmful, and it makes us weaker. So you look at everything from the fact there are 11 people right now running for secretary of state the keepers of the integrity of the voting system of their state, who are election deniers. You've got... And what's that sending? What message does that send to the world? 
Well, you couple that with people who hold some of the highest elected offices in our country who, who refuse to condemn an insurrection on January 6th. So election deniers. So you, those of you who feel like the 2020 election was, uh, you saw it in your own state. You saw, you know, uh, cardboard grow up against the windows so people could not oversee the voting. You saw miscalculations. You saw double voting. You saw ballots being brought in at the middle of the night. All of the, the hundreds, really thousands of you who saw that, uh, you, you are a danger to democracy, and you must be destroyed. In fact, let me go down to clip nine. Uh, this is uh, Tucker last night talking about Amy Kramer. Amy was one of the early founders of the Tea Party movement. She's from Atlanta, Georgia, and this is what's happening to Amy, clip nine. The same thing is happening to dozens, maybe scores of other supporters of the former president. Amy Kramer, for example, is a former Tea Party member and a candidate for the House of Representatives. She also obtained special permits for the National Park Service, which authorized Donald Trump's rally on January 6th, 2021. To be perfectly clear, Amy Kramer never went to the Capitol on that day. She never encouraged anyone else to go either. But for the crime of organizing a lawful political event, an election justice rally protected by the Constitution, Amy Kramer is now being terrorized by Merrick Garland's DOJ. On Wednesday morning, FBI agents showed up at her home first at the home of her ex-husband, carrying a subpoena for her daughter, Kylie. Kramer received a call from Kylie's stepmother saying, quote, the FBI is here for her. The FBI's subpoena demands all communications from Amy Kramer and Kylie, including their social media posts, what? From October 1st, 2020 to the present day. Now, why would the FBI, Joe Biden's FBI, need Amy Kramer's daughter's Instagram posts? Because this isn't about the events leading up to January 6th. Obviously, it's about mining all of her personal information. This is harassment on political grounds. It's illegal. It's unconstitutional. It shocks the conscience of everyone who sees it. But the number of people who see it is very small because it is not covered by any media. Yes, that's what I found. I mean, I, I can't find it took days for anyone to talk about this. I told you uh, that I heard about this last week. I heard the the first uh, Becky Garrison from Alabama Eagle Farm is going to join us first on that's in just a few minutes. And that that's what I first heard about this stuff happening. That was last week, at least this particular stuff. It's been happening for a while. And then on Friday, I got information that, you know, at least 50 Trump supporters had been, their phones had been taken or their information was uh, demanded or the FBI visited them. It's a, it's an all out effort. Uh, but you're not hearing about it. I saw gradually we're seeing more articles and conservative publications, but nothing on Fox News as far as I can tell. Unless it was Tucker last night. Uh, nothing. Nothing. I, I mean, did you know about this? It's just it's amazing. They they quash the information so that people are absolutely ignorant. And then I want to make another point because this is even maybe even more frightening. This is a Chuck Todd uh, talking to Kamala Harris about semi-fascists. This is clip three. What is a semi-fascist? Listen, I think that um, when we let's not get caught up in 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 politicizing the fact that most people in America know that it is not helpful to our country when we have people who are denying elections or trying to obstruct the outcome of an election where the largest number of people in our country voted for the president of the United States. And um, when we look at where we are, I think that we have to admit that there are um, attacks from within, to your first question, and we need to take it seriously. 
All right, so semi-fascists, I guess, according to that dialogue there, semi-fascists are people like those that want to run for secretary of state. She mentioned Kamala in the first clip, something like, I forgot how many she said, maybe 10, but they're Republicans who actually believe that the election was, uh, something was wrong with the 2020 election. And they're running, and they're they're like, uh, well, semi-fascists. And then, of course, there's people who believe that the election was stolen, that Donald Trump was the rightful winner of the 2020 election, and they must be destroyed. And I, evidently, they're going to be destroyed. Now, here's the poll that really bothers me. Because it's one thing for Washington bureaucrats, D.C. bureaucrats, to do this, for the Justice Department controlled by abject leftists uh, they have been for some time. You remember when Christian Adams, who hosts for me often, good friend Christian, uh, years ago when Barack Obama was filling the Justice Department with radical leftists, we did several interviews with Christian uh, and the, the most radical of the radical, and there they are. They are appointed. They have lifetime appointments. It's very difficult to get rid of them, and this is the fruit of that. But here's the poll. Majority views Trump MAGA movement as a threat to democracy. A majority of voters view former President Donald Trump's Make America Great Again movement as a threat to democracy, including a substantial chunk of Republicans who say the ideology does not represent the party. About 58% of voters say Trump's MAGA movement threatens the Democratic foundation of the country, including about 25% of Republicans, according to a Reuters-Ipsos poll. The sentiment echoes remarks from President Joe Biden in Pennsylvania last week in which he warned voters that the future of democracy was at risk due to MAGA forces. That's from the Washington Examiner who hate Trump. By the way, it's not a trustworthy outlet. It used to be. It isn't anymore. Uh, but that's what they're reporting. That means that explains why your neighbors are, you know, pulling into their garages and avoiding conversation with you because you are now semi-fascist and they actually are believing all of this. I have a lot more to say about the New York Times has an interesting article this morning because they seem to always know what's happening. You know, they're getting information. We're not quite sure where, uh, but it seems like justice is leaking like a sieve information about subpoenas. They're going after Trump supporters about the Mar-a-Lago raid. Uh, That's uh, unprecedented. We've never had things like this happening. This is uh, this is a strange time, and of course, when the fascists call you the fascists, that means that they're the fascists. That's the way it goes. Uh, they call you what exactly they are. So, um, yeah, that's the state of the world this morning. Now we're going to go to Alabama and talk about what they're doing to Eagle Form, Alabama. It's really unbelievable. Stay tuned. Sadie Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The following is not an actor, but a real-life story from Trinity Debt Management. The credit card debt happened when my daughter was born. I was using one credit card account to roll over into another credit card account, and it was snowballing. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. When I first called Trinity, the representative understood the need based on the situation. There were great people to work with. From the first phone call that I made, they had me on on a track to mitigate the credit card debt. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. Working with Trinity gave me the ability to save thousands of dollars. My name's Doug, and thanks to Trinity, I'm debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. 
This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Carmen Cantor, Assistant Secretary for Insular and International Affairs. Her office oversees federal administration of the areas outside the 50 states. Deuteronomy 31.8 reminds us that God's love and protection is with us everywhere. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Carmen Cantor as she helps administration of U.S. lands and territories. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. This is an important election year in your state and all across the country. And we're joining together to pray the vote. Details at pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starn. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make the switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. Peppa Pig has surrendered to the sex and gender revolutionaries. The beloved cartoon series for preschoolers has introduced a same-sex family to their cast of characters. Turns out Peppa's classmate, Penny Polar Bear, is the daughter of lesbians. Producers had been under fire for years by LGBT activists to make the show more inclusive to gay people, hence the lesbian polar bears. Make no mistake what's happening here, folks. The sex and gender revolutionaries are using cartoon characters to advance a pretty despicable agenda. It's become a cottage industry publishing storybooks about transgenderism, hosting drag queen story time at public libraries. It's a war for the hearts and minds of our kids. All that to say, don't be surprised if the next beloved children's movie features a sordid romance between Paddington Bear and Winnie the Pooh. I'm Todd Starnes. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Across the country, as we've talked about a bit in here, Republican elected officials are engaging in a disturbing, cynical trend of attacking vulnerable transgender kids for purely partisan political reasons. Today in Alabama, instead of focusing on critical kitchen table issues like the economy, COVID, or addressing the country's mental health crisis, Republican lawmakers are currently debating legislation that, among many things, would target trans use with tactics that threatens to put pediatricians in prison if they provide medically necessary, life-saving health care for the kids they serve. Just like the extreme government overreach we've seen in Texas, where politicians have sent state officials into the homes of loving parents to investigate them for abuse just to harass and intimidate the LGBTQI plus community, today's vote in Alabama will only serve to harm kids. But Alabama's lawmakers and other legislators who are contemplating these discriminatory bills have been put on notice by the Department of Justice and the Department of Health and Human Services that laws and policies preventing care that healthcare professionals recommend for transgender minors may violate the Constitution and federal law. To be clear, every major medical association agrees that gender-affirming health 
childcare for transgender kids is a best practice and potentially life-saving. All of this begs an important question. What are these policies actually trying to solve for? LGBTQI plus people can't be erased or forced back into any closets, and kids across our nation should be allowed to be who they are without the threat that their parents or their doctor could be imprisoned simply for helping them and loving them. Uh, President Biden has committed in both words and actions to fight for all Americans and will not hesitate to hold these states accountable. Oh, that, that was a, actually that was jaw dropping then. That was a circle back Jen Psaki. I haven't heard her voice in a long time. Oh, don't you miss it? Yeah, well, I don't know. Pick your poison. Anyway, so that was Jen Psaki. But here's the thing it was stunning because the Justice Department is calling out two different states whose legislatures and governors uh, rep who represent the people of those states made decisions on this issue of transgenderism and how children were to be, how it was to be treated in schools and classrooms and what would happen to the kids. And the Justice Department actually declared war against those states and those directives. And they made good on that. In fact, a federal judge at the time, uh, it was a U.S. judge for the Northern District of Alabama, Lyles Burke, Burke issued a preliminary injunction to stop Alabama from enforcing this ban while the court challenge went forward. All right, so this is earlier in the year, but something happened last week that was pretty jaw-dropping. Uh, and I've asked uh, Becky Gerritsen to join us this morning. She is the D executive director of Alabama Eagle Forum. First of all, Becky, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you so much for having me on. It's great to be with you. Becky, explain to us what the Alabama Vulnerable Child Compassion and Protection Act is. What did it do? Or did you go after these vulnerable kids and, you know, beat them with a, I'm not sure, that the way Jin Saki described it, it was, you know, like going to hurt these kids. What does it actually say and provide for? This law is very common sense. All it does is it bans puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and sex reassignment surgeries for children who are um, healthy children who have nothing medically wrong with them who are who want to change the appearance of their gender. Um, there's also a part in the law that if a teacher, if a parent asks the teacher if their child is having using a different name at school um, or having an issue with transgenderism, they must tell the parent because right now it can all be a secret. And the parents are completely left out of it. So when that law was enjoined and sort of put on hold, judge did stop the sex reassignment surgery part and the part for the parents and teachers. That that all does go into effect. But now children can still receive puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones in Alabama. But that's temporary, right? Well, how could that? Yes. That's interesting to me. Like, so part of it was enforced and part of it was not. I don't know how... That's an issue for an attorney to to answer how that could happen. But it's but the other part is on hold and pending what? Do you know? Yes. Oral arguments will be heard on the merits of the case on November 14th. And so now they're in the discovery phase. And the Department of Justice has joined in on this um, suit that some folks in Alabama decided this was unconstitutional because they believe they have a right to direct the medical care of their children, which Yes, in some case you do, but to mutilate your healthy child, um, that is what we're trying to make illegal, and which is, we believe, it is illegal. It is wrong for you to mutilate your child. I mean, you can't even give your kids alcohol or tobacco um, at, at certain ages. And so wanting to stunt their growth, wanting to put drugs into their bodies that will cause permanent harm, this is something we 
wanted to stop. We had parents and and counselors coming to us saying, we are really concerned about this trend. Will you help us do something? And so that is what prompted us to write the law. But as Dan said in her press conference, it, the DOJ is now taking action against these states. So, um, so, uh, what, so this happened to you. I, I think this happened earlier, but you just made it public last week. Uh, what happened yes, that caught you by surprise? August 10th, we received a subpoena from the Department of Justice wanting to see all of our records, emails, social media posts, summaries, analysis, fact sheets, initiatives, um, public polling data, minutes, records, all, I mean, the list goes on and on, all communications with any government or non-government organization regarding this law. Um, They wanted all of that information from us. And they're fighting in the courts whether this is constitutional or not. So any presentation that we would have given, any um, fact sheets that we would have given to legislatures, uh, legislators, that makes no difference on this case, has no bearing on this case. And so we have a great attorney who's representing us who has, we have filed a motion to quash this subpoena because if this is allowed to stand, every organization that does this kind of work, that advocates for bills or writes legislation, they, they can, you know, have the same thing happen to them. And we aren't even a party to the suit, Sandy. We aren't even a party whatsoever to this lawsuit, which is just ridiculous. It's a serious act of intimidation. You know, let me read something. This is from uh, an article our friend George Rasley, our mutual friend, uh, wrote. And I just yeah. want to spell this out. You touched on this, but I want to I drive it home. The subpoena in question asks for the production of all documents by Eagle Forum Alabama. Emails. Social media posts, summaries, analysis, fact sheets, talking points, drafts of legislation, including those from third parties, policies, goals, strategies, initiatives, polling, public opinion data, minutes, records, presentations, interviews, mass mailouts, emails, videos, and all communications with government and non-government organizations or individuals, including member legislators, employees, the attorney general, lobbyists, consultants, all of that from 2017, which detail Eagle Forum of Alabama's legislative activities related to uh, the, the passage of this bill we're talking about. Uh, that is just onerous. And just a practical question, Becky, how many paid employees are there down there with uh, Eagle Forum of Alabama? We have one full-time and one half-time. Yeah. So uh, is, we are a great machine. We are very effective, but we are for, um, we are all volunteers. You know, it is, it, besides the one and a half paid employees, it is run by volunteers. Um, it, it is very difficult. When you read through that list, how difficult is that going to be for us to find all of that information over that many years? And if we forget something, we forget an email, then we are um, guilty of perjury. So it's such a trap. It is. Judge. It is such a trap. And, yeah. and here's the thing, too. I'm sure you've talked to, to your attorney about this. Margaret Clark is your general counsel. She said some really powerful things about this. She says, in mm-hmm. over 44, 45 years of policy and legislative reform efforts, to my knowledge, neither EFA or any of its sister state organizations nor the National Eagle Forum working in Washington have ever been subpoenaed pertaining to their legislative reform efforts. This would completely undermine the entire process by threatening advocates pro or con with record production. Uh, but um, the thing, I wish Phyllis were alive. Phyllis Schlafly is the founder of Eagle Forum, mm. for those of you that are too young to know this. 
a wonderful friend of mine. I, can, I wish she were alive. Uh, to, she'd have plenty to say about this. But um, uh, Becky, I, I, I don't understand this, and maybe you've asked this question. I thought, you know, subpoenas were supposed to be issued to people that were suspected of wrongdoing. Have yes, you asked that question? And that I mean, is why this is so outrageous. We are um, acting in our capacity as citizens. This is our constitutional right to be able to do this. Uh, this, as a 501c4, this is even what the IRS expects us to do. This is this is our job. And now all of a sudden we're getting a subpoena as if we've done something criminal. This should make everyone pause. It should because this is a, this is going to be a tool for all family organizations for sure because we are the current enemies of the state for AFA action Sandy, for AFA for Family Research Council all of us. Mm-hmm. Sandy, there was a law firm, a law group that we were working with as well that was helping us draft this bill. They did receive a similar subpoena with the same kinds of questions, and they are also um, filed a motion to quash. But he this organization had been doing lobbying and for 35 years of writing legislation and that sort of thing. And um, never in their history have they ever seen this either. So, but both of us were working on the same, this is the same law. And, you know, it's as they, they ask for more names in there, they want to know all the third parties that we worked with. So maybe they want to send subpoenas to them in the future. Who knows? Of course, of course they but do. It's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so oh, so tell us where the the motion to quash the subpoena is. What's the status of that and okay. the timeline? We don't know the timeline. I think it's up to the judge. I think it's his discretion. I, I'm assuming that he could rule on this as you know today, um, or he could wait until oral oral arguments begin in November. So who knows? I would love to keep you updated. But for your listeners out there that want to read the subpoena for themselves, they want to see um, our declaration, my declaration, and Margaret Clark, our general counsel, and the motion to quash, if you go to alabamaeagle.org, we have it posted on the homepage. You'll see our press release. And underneath the press release, we have these links to all of this additional information. And you'll just be blown away at what they're asking. And I'm so glad that you've had me on to talk about this because people need to talk about this, that we need to let people know they're coming for us. They do not want us to exercise our constitutional rights. Yes, we were just uh, talking about uh, people they've been coming after. That's kind of my theme today. Amy Kramer in Atlanta, you know, one of the founders of the Tea Party, they've come after her, the FBI coming after her daughter. Uh, Have you personally Mm -hmm. been, have they come after you, Becky, yet? And now you need to say also, uh, Becky was uh, testified before Congress because uh, several years ago, uh, the uh, IRS came after Becky as the head of the. I was. Tea, it was the Alabama Tea Party movement, right, Becky? Wetumpka Tea Party. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Wetumpka so Tea Party in Alabama. Yes. So they came after you with a vengeance through the IRS. Can you just give us, a, for the sake of history here, uh, give us an idea of what that what happened and what what was the outcome? Sure. Basically, the IRS held every um, organization that had the name Tea Party or Patriot or Liberty in their name that was applying for a 501c3 or 4. They pushed all those aside and pretty much refused to give those out, even though we were all allowed to have those. They, they decided to send us letters demanding more information like, turn over all the names of your volunteers. We want to know all the communications you've had with any legislative body. We want copies of every speech ever given, the names of those speakers and their credentials. And in some of the groups, they were asked to um, 
tell them what their prayers were, tell them what books they were reading, and they wanted book reports. Um, This was just outrageous, but it was the government's way to stop the grassroots movements who were really effective in pushing back against um, President Obama's um, agenda, which was very anti-American, we believe, in in some ways, many ways. And um, this one, as I read through the subpoena that we just received from the Department of Justice, it was eerily similar. Yes. It was kind of deja vu. Yeah. So this is not your first rodeo. I just wanted to make that point. Uh, but it's, it, it really right. is the way totalitarian regimes uh, um, work. In fact, let me read Mike Davis, our mutual friend. Mike had texted this yesterday. What pretextual predicate crime is the Biden Justice Department using to hunt down and punish uh, Biden's political enemies? It's only a crime to question the outcome of elections in third world Marxist hellholes. This is a clear yeah. First Amendment violation. He's not speaking of you in particular, but of everyone uh, that they're coming yeah. after. And, of course, the idea of this is an election year, uh, and uh, they want to cripple, you know, cripple you financially, uh, tie up your resources, so all you can think about is complying with the subpoena because you're n- so you're not charged with, I don't know, with the perjury, whatever they would charge you mm-hmm. with. And so you can't do the things that you need to do. Um, so, Becky, uh, uh let me just ask you, we only have a couple of minutes left. What kinds of things is Eagle Forum Alabama? What are you guys in the trenches on besides this? Oh, we are in the trenches in so many things. But um, we have a very wide range, um, whether it's school choice issues, parental rights is really a big thing that we're working on for this next upcoming legislative session. Even ESG scores, pushing back on that. I mean, we, we cover a wide range, but... Um, we will continue to fight for families in Alabama. It's what we've done for over 45 years, and it is worth joining. If you have if you have never heard of Eagle Forum before, look it up. You've probably got a, ch- a chapter in your state and, and get involved. Uh, it's really important. Sandy, one, one thing I want to say that's different about this subpoena, just kind of backtracking to what you were 30, saying a minute 30 ago. 30 seconds. How they're 30 seconds, our Becky. resources. Yep. Is they're casting dispersion on us. As well. This is different as we've been like we're criminals. Yes, exactly. And I just read a poll before you joined me me about how people are, a a poll is showing that people are beginning to believe that MAGA supporters are, you know, a threat to democracy. It was a poll that Washington Examiner, who is not our friend anymore, uh, was happy to report. But uh, this is happening. It's working. It's being very effective. But nevertheless, we stand for truth and truth has power of its own. The God behind all truth is the all-powerful God that we serve. So fearlessly, we will continue with all these kerfuffles. Uh, they're not going to stop us. Uh, they're just not going to stop us. Becky, uh, you get Becky Garrett's in the executive director of Alabama Eagle Forum. Becky, you're a champion, and I'm proud to call you my friend. And I thank you for joining us this morning. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. When you hear this... This is American Family News. You know what follows is the truth. Your news from a Christian perspective. Hundreds of teachers are going to have to walk into that school building and they are forced to swallow political ideology that in many cases violates their very faith and conscience. If you miss it at the top of the hour, American Family News podcasts are available at AFN.net and sign up for our daily news brief at AFN.net. It was a bad move. Target invited men who say they feel like women into restrooms and changing areas designated for women. They probably guessed other retailers would follow their lead, but they were wrong. 
Others saw that bandwagon was headed in the wrong direction. We're not ready to sacrifice the safety of women and children for the sake of progressive bathroom policies. Invite Target to make a better move. Sign the Boycott Target Pledge at afa.net. But they became futile in their thinking. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. A little girl at Fort Riley Middle School in Kansas was socially transitioned at the school, but it was intentionally concealed from her parents. Social transition is where people agree to treat a person, or student in this case, as if their identity is opposite of their sex. Pamela Ricard, a Christian teacher at the school, refused to go along with the charade. As a result, the school suspended her. She secured representation by Alliance Defending Freedom, sued the school and district, and Ms. Ricard was ultimately vindicated. After Kansas school officials socially transitioned the child and fought to conceal it from her parents. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for the Hamilton Corner or visit the podcast page at AFR.net for more from Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. If you are 65 or older, you know this. It's really frustrating to deal with out-of-pocket medical expenses, watching your hard-earned dollars just flying out the window. Well, here's something that can really help, and it's worth taking a minute to look into. MediShare has a new option called MediShare 65+. Plus. MediShare is a community of Christians who share each other's health care bills, and it really is a community. People encourage and pray for each other. And MediShare 65 Plus is a low-cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B that fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years. It's great for peace of mind. And you can use your Medicare-approved doctor and get prescription savings, dental and vision savings. Very worth looking into, and it's so easy to find out why people rave about the customer service at MediShare. They're great to talk to on the phone. Here's the number. Call 833-45-BIBLE. That's 833-45-BIBLE. 833-45-BIBLE. This is Frank Afton with the Secure Freedom Minute. The Biden administration's wrecking operation with respect to U.S. energy security has reduced our strategic petroleum reserve to its lowest level in almost 40 years. Such sales of oil meant for emergency use only, including some to our mortal enemy, the Chinese Communist Party, has significantly increased our vulnerability in case of, for example, a war. Worse yet, at the same time, the nation most likely to precipitate such a conflict, namely communist China, has been systematically hoarding oil, natural gas, and coal, as well as food, rare earth minerals, fertilizers, and other materials. The CCP appears to be putting its nation on a war footing, and Biden's irresponsible conduct with respect to our strategic reserve and virtually every other aspect of energy policy appears to be a betrayal of America's national security that can only conduce to a Chinese victory. This is Frank Gaffney. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at sandy at AFR.net. That's sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. What is a semi-fascist? Listen, I think that um, when we... Let's not get caught up in, 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 in politicizing the fact that most people in America know that it is not helpful to our country when we have people who are denying elections or trying to obstruct the outcome of an election 
where the largest number of people in our country voted for the president of the United States. And um, when we look at where we are, I think that we have to admit that there are um, attacks from within, to your first question, and we need to take it seriously. Yeah, well, yeah. So uh, I thought she said in that clip, election deniers, but uh, that's what she says, I guess, in the other clip. She said people that, you know, don't believe uh, in elections, they are the people that are a danger to our democracy. People that would deny that people won, like, for instance, Biden in 2020. How dare they think that perhaps that wasn't a fair election? That's dangerous. Those people are semi-fascists. So, of course, a little examination shows that, of course, as always, whatever they accuse uh, the right of is exactly what they did. And I will il illustrate it in a nice, generous, long clip. This is clip 13. You can run the best campaign. You can even become the nominee. And you can have the election stolen from you. How can you win with Russian interference, though? That's, That's a real what thing. I'm scared about no, in 2020. But, but rightly. Because right. I think he's an illegitimate president that didn't really win. So how do you you know, fighting against that in 2020. You are absolutely right. He is an illegitimate president in my mind. Would you be my vice presidential candidate? <laughs> Folks, look, I absolutely agree. Trump didn't actually win the election in 2016. He lost the election and he was put in office because the Russians interfered. Trump knows he's an illegitimate president. The president or elect, although legally elected, is not legitimate. I don't see this president-elect as a legitimate president. You said you believe that Russia's interference altered the outcome of the election. I do. We have a president who, if in fact it is proven, uh, has been assisted by the Russians and may in fact not be a legitimate president. The one thing that Trump is fearful of uh, when it comes to his being president is that finally we will see how illegitimate his victory actually was. I have an objection. I object to the 15 votes from the state of North Carolina. I object because people are horrified. He's an illegitimate president. Do you believe Trump is illegitimate president? What I believe is that there's no question that the outcome of this election was affected by the Russian interference. But there absolutely is a cloud of illegitimacy. So that legitimacy is in question, yes. So that was a very tainted election. And and in that sense, it's illegitimate. Why do you think the president is going to such great lengths to essentially prove that he beat you? Because he knows he didn't. He knows he's an illegitimate president. Stolen emails. Stolen drone. Stolen drone. Stolen election. Welcome to the world of unprecedented Trump. So do you believe President Trump is an illegitimate president? Based on what I just said, which I can't retract. <laughs> the Russian attempt to, ha to have the election, and frankly, the FBI's uh, weighing in on the election, I think make the, make, makes his election illegitimate. There was a widespread understanding that this election was not on the level. We still don't know what really happened, Isaac. I mean, there's just a lot that I think will be revealed, history will discover. But you don't win by three million votes and have all this other shenanigans stuff going on and not come away with an idea like, whoa, something's not right here. The outcome of the election was affected by their interference. And now we need to know, you know to what degree, uh, if any, the Trump campaign was actually in collusion with the, uh, with so Russia. he knows he's an illegitimate president. So of course he's obsessed with me. And I believe that it's a guilty conscience. All right. So uh, is that enough? Because it went on and on. I, that was, I thought maybe that would be enough to show you uh, that in 2016, 
oh, well, we could go to other years too, but we could go way back. We could go to Gore versus uh, Bush. We have a whole bunch of audio on that too. I, I guess, you know, there may have been some semi-fascists around in 2016, according to their definition, uh, according to Chuck Todd's definition of Kamala Harris, who felt that, uh, you know, President Trump didn't really beat uh, Hillary Clinton. How could he have done that? That's not possible. They said it over and over and over again. They said it was Russian collusion. It was the Russians that elected him, and Americans started to believe it. They developed this whole narrative. They found this phony, phony, ridiculous, stupid dossier that I read to you on the air the day it came out and told you this is ridiculous. This is on its face ridiculous. It's a tabloid. It's, it's like reading a, a really poorly written tabloid story. But uh, they insisted, and because they have the media and because they have the loud voices, uh, they're able to convince you some four years later, well, no more than that now, uh, uh, that, um, that uh, Trump supporters who believe that the 2020 election was not decided rightly, that there were irregularities, there were lots of problems with that election, that we, we now, uh, those of us who feel the way they did in 2016, are semi-fascists, we are a danger to democracy. That's what they are saying, and that's what people are believing And Could I just counsel you? We must have sound minds. You know, God gives us sound minds. Uh, he doesn't, he's not the author of confusion. Sometimes we are confused, but then when we draw near to him, we see more clearly. Uh, and he is the, the God of all truth. So just stand on the truth. Don't waver. Don't look to the left, don't look to the right, just stand on the truth as you know it, and yet make sure you get your news from sources that you can trust. Uh, make sure that when you listen to people say things, you know where they're coming from, and that includes me. I'm sure I have some blind spots about some things, uh, but so you have to say, well, I, you know, she's got a blind spot on that, so I'm not going to listen to her on that, if that, that's me. Uh, but I, would, I do that with everyone. You have to do that, but do not waver. Truth is truth is truth is truth, and how can we know the truth? Truth is what comports with reality. In other words, it's what you see. It's what lines up with the facts. It's not some fantasy world, which is the what they want to create for us right now, uh, where people that are just like there was a kid that from California, very liberal kid, who went to a Trump rally a couple of weeks ago and did a whole interview on Fox talking about how shocked he was at how wonderful people were, how nice they were, how kind. What a great time he had at that Trump rally. It just was stunning to him. And so the truth, you know, the truth that he thought was the truth did not comport with reality. So I'm just telling you, uh, hold, you know, hold your powder, uh, look, to the, to look forward, and uh, don't let them, you know, confuse or upset you with all of their lies because there are going to be plenty of them more coming. In fact, uh, the New York Times published an article just uh, yesterday and they're telling us, of course, they're giving us a little background. <laughs> Somehow they have this information about, you know, the search warrants that have been issued to all of these Trump supporters. And they say, actually say in this, what, what we consider before using anonymous sources, this is one of their headings, do the sources know the information? What's their motivation for telling us? Have they provided reliable, proved of reliable in the past? Can we corroborate the information? Even with these questions satisfied, the Times uses anonymous sources as a last resort. The reporter and at least one editor know the identity of the source. <laughs> so, 
but we know full well that it's Justice Department people leaking to the New York Times, and so we look to the New York Times to tell us what justice is up to, and also the Congress, the nefarious people who are in control of our Congress. So uh, the J6 committee is going to be meeting again before the election. Of course they are. And uh, the uh, New York Times laid out right now what they've, what they've been doing. So I'm going to tell you what they've been doing in case you missed them. They made the case against Donald Trump. The House committee investigating the January 6th attack is laying out a comprehensive narrative of President Donald J. Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election. You know, I have to just take a little sidebar here. That reminds me of... Um, Deborah Burlingame, who is the sister of Chick, Chick Burlingame, who was the pilot of Flight 77 that went down to Shakesville, Pennsylvania. And Deborah has been an outspoken commentator, uh, patriot, lover of this country, critic of all that happened. And she wrote yesterday, I read part of it to you, about how the 9-11 Commission perverted the facts of what happened on 9-11. And she talked about how they picked pieces of this and that out and constructed a narrative of 9-11 that had no uh, rea- no relationship to actually what happened. And I would say that I saw that happen. I remember um, being on uh, crossfire at George Washington University with um, probably Tucker Carlson as the Tucker, and I forgot, it was uh, uh, James, uh, uh, James Carville. And we were, it was right after 9-11. Really, it was really right after that. And I was on to talk about how already the powder, the dust, the atomic, what an atomic, but the jet fuel hadn't even hardly left New York City when the Islamists, the Muslim Brotherhood, who are very smart, 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 the ones that actually were participants in what happened to us on 9-11, constructed this narrative that um, if we lashed out back at Islam, Islamists, or people who adhere to Sharia, we were, they made up this word, Islamophobic. It was created right then, Islamophobic, and they declared it, and they started insisting that in schools, our American children, right away, ASAP, right away, be instructed that the Muslims were peaceful, uh, and that there was nothing to, uh, any any kind of criticism of Islam was just untoward, that that was uh, just a group of you know, outsiders and not connected to the Islamic faith or not at least, you know, radicals, they wanted to call them. And so they started teaching this in public schools, like almost immediately. It was, it was head spinning. And I was on Crossfire to um, talk about that. And uh, Franklin Graham was on with me too by uh, the big screen behind us. Um, and we were actually just shocked at how quickly they went, they, uh, the left cooperating with the Muslim Brotherhood leaders, uh, cooperated to start um, transforming the story for American school children. And that's just one thing that I had a front row seat to watching. And so um, so right now you see the January 6th hearing committee uh, tr- creating a narrative, uh, meaning that's what the left does. And they say that all the time. That's their words, where they uh, pick, you know, you could think, let's talk about it. Let's make it personal. You had an argument with someone. And uh, it's a family member. And someone else in the family wants to know what happened between the two of you. And you tell your story, and your other family member tells their story to the other person in the family. And your story is different from the your other person's story because you tell your narrative. You leave out some things about maybe things that you said that were really bad. 
you only tell the things that are good for your story and your family member only tells the things that are good for him and leaves out the good stuff about you. And your third person that you're telling this to doesn't really know what to believe. Well, let's assume that you and the person you argued with agreed that you'd both tell this one story and you'd leave out those other parts. And that's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. It's a human nature, but it's also human nature now like bottled and packaged and sold to a country. It, they did it after 9-11 and now they're doing this on January the 6th. So, um, the New York Times says it's an unsettling narrative. During the first hearing, the committee described in vivid detail what it characterized as an attempted coup orchestrated by the former president that culminated in an assault on the Capitol at the heart of the gripping story. <laughs> gripping story. It is a story. There, there's a script they're writing. Were three main players, Mr. Trump, the Proud Boys, and a Capitol Police officer. And then another uh, heading, creating election lies. In its second hearing, the panel showed how Mr. Trump ignored aides and advisors as he declared victory prematurely and relentlessly pressed claims of fraud he was told were wrong. He's become detached from reality if he believes this stuff, William Barr, the former attorney general, said to Mr. Trump during a videotaped interview. Yes, William Barr did his part. Pressuring Pence, listen to this one. Mr. Trump continued pressuring Vice President Mike Pence to go along with a plan to overturn his loss, even after he told he was told it was illegal. It was not illegal. This is just this is just falderall. And if I had seen Mike Pence, I would have done the same thing. By the way, uh, there was nothing. Mike Pence had a choice, and he made a choice. He, there was nothing constitutional against him holding off and letting these states settle uh, the disputes in their states before accepting these electors. He chose not to. All right. There's nothing wrong with trying to talk him into doing that so that we could let things settle and figure out what was really true. But the, the New York Times said that Mr. Trump's actions led his supporters to storm the Capitol, sending Mr. Pence fleeing for his life. Oh, really? Please. Okay, so the, the, um, the, narr- the narrative par excellence, the New York Times is busy creating this narrative. Now, January 6th committee is going to be meeting again, and they'll be coming after more of us. I'm sure you can expect that. And they're taking, you know, what they know from anonymous, anonymous, anonymous sources. Oh, boy. It's a crazy world in which we live, but it's been done before. We know the playbook, and we also know the ending because we have a marvelous, marvelous God of all truth. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.